everyone, and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we talk about strange things that happen in history. In history. With me today is my radio co-host, Barnaby King. Hello. Hello, and I'm Amelia Edwards. So, um... You're welcome to the drive time! Drive we, time, drive time! We're going to talk about weird things happening in history. Although, actually, today is not going to be that weird. I feel like I went really weird on the last one. Okay. So uh, I'm just doing something that's a bit unusual today. Hmm. Um, so, I've been thinking, you know, hopefully this is going out in the future at a point where everyone's happy, everyone's free, everyone's able to do what they want. But I'm going to say right now that 2020 has been kind of a crap year. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, it started off with the world being on fire, or Australia being on fire. Yep. And now we've got lockdown, there's racism aplenty, there's lots of, there's there's that person who, this is going to, date the so podcast to exactly when we record there was that guy who flew the white lives matter plane oh my god and then didn't know why people would be upset <laughs> and it's like please get a moment all right yeah so let's say it is a shitty year mm-hmm. it is quite possibly the shittiest year that we've been through we've never been on lockdown before mm, that's true uh we've never had and Oh, okay. (laughs) I was not expecting that take, but okay. I've got some strong feelings. Yeah, I'm not sure we're going to be allowed to say that. I mean... Oh, we'll bleep it, it's fine. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But if the Illuminati do come after us, then I'll be telling them that you said all that. Don't tell the Illuminati that I said this. Also, I'm pretty sure that the Illuminati, if they exist, are just a bunch of guys getting together in a cellar somewhere. Yeah. That's more likely to get us got, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) People never go down for saying the Illuminati is, like, some terrifying regime. But you've never heard somebody say the Illuminati is just a bunch of guys in a cellar somewhere. Yeah. A bunch of guys in a cellar somewhere, drinking some really shit beer, Mm. and... No, no, they wouldn't drink shit beer. They drink port, like, but cheap port. I was thinking whiskey, but yeah, fair. Mm. port works too. Anyway, let's think about twenty twenty though, because there is at least one good thing I can say for twenty twenty. We, oh no, no, we got a rabbit last year. We did get a rabbit last year. Okay. Um. Uh, we finally launched this podcast. Yeah, I guess. Like, if you think that's if you think that's a good thing, ha <laughs> um, But what I was going to say was that twenty 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 is the year of Chiune Sugihara in Lithuania. What? Okay, so what? <laughs> if you are in Lithuania this year, this would be the year that you're celebrating Chiune Sugihara. Yeah, that doesn't answer my question. That just, he... <laughs> that just repeats it with slightly more elaborate wording. All right, well, I felt like elaboration was required. Yeah, but, like, actually tell me what's going on. Okay, so Chiyune Sugihara was a guy. Okay. And he was an awesome guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was an awesome guy who lived a really quiet and retired kind of life. This sounds like it's going to be an exciting episode. It is. I will go put on my exciting trousers. Well, we'll just take a break while Barnaby's putting on his exciting trousers. (laughs) God, they're exciting. Oh my gosh, they are. <laughs> Why have they got a unicorn on them? 
Okay, so he lived a quiet life. Okay, so Chiyuno Sagara lived a quiet life. Or at least, that's kind of what people thought about him. So, I want you to imagine that you are a quiet Japanese businessman. (laughs) (laughs) As I often do. As you often do. I mean, don't we all? I know. Just think about that salaryman lifestyle. Ah, the dream. So, I want you to imagine you are a quiet Japanese businessman and for years you've had this next door neighbour who also seems to be living a reasonably quiet Japanese businessman life. Like, occasionally the most exciting thing he seems to do is um, go on his work uh, on his work outings to uh, Moscow, which okay. is quite cool. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's got a wife and like three kids, and just seems to be living your average Japanese salaryman business life. Right. And then you know he dies, which is really really sad. And at his funeral, he comes back, zombie, <laughs> vampire, ghost. Am I getting closer? You are not getting anywhere close. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At his funeral, um, turn up loads of Israeli diplomats right, and Jewish Lithuanian people who all tell you how amazing this guy was and that he saved their lives and the lives of their grandparents. Was he a superhero? Yes. Oh, nice. But in a secret way. Oh, okay. I know. But they Is this going to be a more sort of like figurative superhero you're not about to tell me that he, you know, could fly or punch Nazis through walls or anything like that. He couldn't do any of those things. His superpower was writing visas. But he wrote visas like a fucking badass. Oh, I mean, I can write a visa. <laughs> can you, though? No, I can't, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be a superpower for as much as I know how to do it. Okay, so... This is way back um, in the 1930s, the story is set. So, Chiyuno Sugihara was a, like, okay, I'm going to say this right now. Like, once again, I have taken a lot of stuff from the internet and from Wikipedia. And if you read the Wikipedia article on Chiyuno Sugihara, they do not mention the fact that he was probably a spy. But he was. Right. Okay. Okay. So, Chiyuno Sugihara... Grew up in a reasonably middle-class family in Japan mm-hmm. and became part of the Japanese Foreign Office. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got sent to Lithuania in 1939. And this would seem like really not a promising place to be, given that there are so many interesting places you could be on the brink of World War Two. Interesting in a variety of different meanings, I assume. Absolutely. But I mean, like, imagine that you're a young man, you've got prospects ahead of you, you're in the foreign office, and you want to be somewhere that's going to be, you know, important. I'm kind of guessing you're not going to go Lithuania. I suppose not. I mean, I I guess I'm thinking of this as a sort of retrospective where it's like, yeah, I want to be somewhere quiet right now. I don't want to be on the forefront of a war. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. It's... I guess what I'm saying is it sounds like that quiet place right. where you could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, Lithuania in 1939 was known as the Casablanca of the North in that it was a place where loads of spies were at the time because <laughs> Lithuania... <laughs> Sorry, what? what's funny? Okay. 
I'm just imagining. I'm just imagining that bit in Good Omens when <laughs> okay. they're in the park, and there's just every sort of spy there feeding the ducks. Oh my gosh! Um, so Lithuania was that place. Amazing spies everywhere feeding ducks. You'll have had um, people everywhere at museums quietly exchanging dossiers, like nice. all of that. Nice. All of that, and that's because Lithuania, at this point in history, was the kind of boundary between the Soviet Union and Germany. Ah, right. So Poland is right next to Lithuania. Yeah. But Poland had just been split up. Yeah. Into um, Soviet Union territory and German territory, because mm. they both invaded it at the same time. Yes. Another reason why this was important was because of refugees. Right, yeah. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Mm -hmm. But bearing in mind that I've been talking about lots of Jewish people saying that he saved their lives. Yeah, I'm starting to get a picture. um, Yeah, a lot of people were fleeing Poland, especially, through Lithuania. Yeah. Which still wasn't a great time because you got the USSR on the other side. But we'll... Like, never mind. I mean, that was a bit of a tumultuous time. I mean, if we think back to the episode I did on Wojtek. Oh, yeah. We know that there was a lot going on there as well. And Oh, my gosh, yes. Gosh, imagine if you ended up fleeing from Poland into Lithuania, then getting put in a train and deported down to Syria, finding a bear. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't say so explicitly on the page, but I'm pretty sure... That when Junie Sugihara was the vice consul for Japan in Lithuania in 1939, he was involved in intelligence work. Okay. Um, he reported on Soviet and German troop movements, for sure. Mm-hmm. And one of his duties was to find out whether Germany intended to attack the USSR. Right, yeah. Um, because apparently at this point, Japan, although it was allied with Germany, didn't really trust them at all. Yeah. Like, they had no clue what was going on. Okay. And they... Like, that sounds really unfair. Maybe they did. But, like, they were not sure if Germany was ever going to actually tell them the truth. Yeah. Which, you know, fair, because Germany did not tell the truth at that point in time. Mm, Yeah. So, while he was there, the Polish Secret Service found out about his intelligence work because they had a Polish butler stationed in the Japanese consulate who spied on him. Right. And they then contacted Sugihara because they figured out what Japan was up to, as in they were spying on Germany too. And he worked with them. Um, And this included him helping two of their intelligence agents later on to escape Lithuania by giving them Japanese passports. Right. So I'm just curious, just to stop you there for a moment... Why isn't this on Wikipedia, then? (laughs) The Um, font of all knowledge, surely. The reason, I think, is because... Firstly, the Wikipedia article on Chiyune Sugihara is shockingly edited. Okay. Um, like, it's all over the place. It took me ages to put together the <laughs> script just because I was trying to work out everything. And Are also, you saying you're just sourcing from Wikipedia? I'm not. This is why it took me a long time, because I had to read through all of their sources right. and try to work out exactly what was going on. <laughs> um, and so... This is not on Wikipedia, because Wikipedia has a particular interest in Chiyune Sugihara, and that's especially just because of his uh, work in helping people during the Holocaust. Okay. So really, they're only focusing on that. Right. So, so, so this is the sort of stuff that would be in the early life section and get about a sentence. Yeah. Right. 
like I'm pretty convinced he was a spy just based on some like this lecture that was given um about what the Polish were doing mm. in Lithuania at the time yeah. that mentions Julius Segura. Yeah, I mean it definitely sounds like they are treating him as a spy. Yes. Like for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um so he was working with these two guys and at this point the USSR invaded Lithuania. Mm-hmm. Um, and they took control of all the Baltic states in mid-June 1940. So about a year after he'd become the vice consul. Glorious. Glorious. Um, and honestly, like looking up the invasion, it's mad. It took about two days for them to invade all the Baltic states. Just like all of them. Damn. I know. That is some efficiency right there. I think it's what happens when you've got a population of like five million or whatever. Yeah, that's fair. Spread out pretty thin as well, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like completely bonkers. <laughs> um, so many Polish Jews saw this as their opportunity to escape Poland. Um, because both of the USSR and Germany had invaded there was now like this clear route through to Lithuania and more importantly uh, Italy had just joined the war as well right. which meant that for Polish Jews it was too, now too difficult to escape west so they're going to go east instead hmm. also around this time around a third of Lithuania's urban population was Jewish okay right I mean, I think this just this was one of those facts that just kind of brought to me the scale of like how everything changed for yeah. the Jewish population of Europe at that time. Because I guess you get those people, those like awful Holocaust deniers, oh, God, yeah. um, who are like, "Oh no, like you can't like how can you see that this many people disappeared?" And it's like because a third of Lithuania's urban population was Jewish. It was a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so. I, I remember back in God, it must have been two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I remember getting an assembly at school, like in at sick form. Okay. Because there were a load of Holocaust deniers turning up, and the school basically went to us and went, "There's a lot of this shit going around. Don't listen to it. It's not true. The Holocaust was a thing." And it just strikes me that. Why do we still have these people? Why do we still have Holocaust deniers? It's so mad. I mean, okay, so a third of Lithuania's urban population, right? Mm. In Kaunas, which was the capital city of Lithuania at the time, mm-hmm. it was half. Oh my god. Half the people were Jewish. Right. So, so they have got to get the <laughs> f*** out of there. They really do. Because <laughs> they don't know when or if the Germans are going to invade. And also, to be perfectly honest, the Soviet Union, while being accepting of people of different faiths in general, didn't really like it if you were sort of a rabbi or particularly religious. I've seen Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's during Tsarist Russia. I know, I know. But I mean, it's it's the same thing. You've basically got extremists either side. One may be a little better than the other, but it's still extreme. And, you know, you don't want to be part of that, really. You really don't. So, like, the USSR, less of a threat, I think, to the Jewish population, but they still wanted rid. Like, Mm. they did not want Jewish people to be in the USSR if they were, you know, overtly Jewish. Right, yeah. Just secretly Jewish. Secretly just Jewish. Just Jewish. Like, just a little bit, you just, know. Just a little bit. Yeah, so so I guess that it was okay for you to be, like, ethnically Jewish, but presumably not actually do any studying or anything because you don't want well-educated people right. in your oppressive authoritarian regime. You want, you want to be a bit Jewish. Maybe you have a yarmulke, but you don't wear it. Yeah, exactly. You just have it as a display yarmulke. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's such a weird thing to imagine. <laughs> well, I've got a phrenology bust upstairs. We could put it. No way. This would, this would no, be some sort was, of what? <laughs> this be some sort of weird cultural appropriation? I don't even know. I don't know either. It's very hard to tell with that sort of stuff. Gosh, it is. Yeah. Okay, so for these Eastern European Jews, as you've noticed, it was incredibly important they had to travel east. But they needed visas in order to be able to leave the country safely. Right. And that meant that they needed to find a country that was willing to supply those visas. Couldn't they have just used MasterCard? <laughs> is that really dated? I don't know. I mean, it probably is. I don't think MasterCard really exists anymore, does it? Oh, no, it does. It must do. It's a debit card. I don't know. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know how these things work. I don't know either. I just always get a... They kick out the fact that visas are called visas and, you know, visa card payment. This is not funny. This is not funny at all to anyone but me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, let's, you know I'm going to leave it in, though. Let's try and kick this funny up a notch, like, by talking more about the Holocaust. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is the problem. And this is the problem with, like, some of our episodes in general, is we're going to have to talk about really horrible, difficult stuff and try and make it funny. Okay, there's, there's bits later on that we can make more funny. It's okay. Okay. We don't have to try and make this bit funny. Can I just laugh at the fact that our rabbit has come in and is just eating the hell out of the microphone boxes? <laughs> you can probably hear him. Hey, boy. Hello. You're right there. You know I'm leaving this in, too. Oh, of course. <laughs> Anyway, back to the Holocaust. Okay, so they need to find a country that's willing to supply visas. And the problem is that very few people were willing to supply visas to so many refugees. Mm, okay. So as it was, hundreds of refugees applied to the Japanese consulate um, in Kamas. And the Japanese government had said that visas could only be granted to people who had gone through the proper immigration procedures. Right. Who had enough funds. And who had visas for a final destination. Right. So they weren't allowed to just go to Japan. Right. They had to have just passing through visas to say that they were going somewhere else. Right, okay. Now, to be fair, like, I'm going to talk a lot about how amazing Sugihara was. Mm -hmm. um, there was also a diplomat in the Dutch embassy who was doing similar awesome work because he teamed up with Sugihara a little bit and tried to get as many visas for a final destination as possible. Right. Which was in, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, Curacao. As in, as in blue Curacao? Curacao, yes, as in blue Curacao. Okay. Okay, because one of the weird upshots of having the Dutch Empire right. was that they owned the island of Curacao, which is near to Japan. Uh, right. So they basically said, look, you can all go and stay in Curacao indefinitely. Right. Which would have been really bizarre if that was like the new Israel or something. Could you imagine? Yeah. Like just a load of like Polish refugees getting really pissed on like this weird blue liqueur stuff every night. Well, I mean, you mix it into cocktails, surely. I suppose so. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. What, what's the thing that I used to drink a lot of? Blue Derby. Blue Derbies. They were nice. Sure. Don't you look at me like that. They were nice. <laughs> I just find Curacao weird, because, like, why is it blue? Well, to be fair, that's that's just blue Curacao. There are different sorts. 
But why is blue Curacao blue? I think it's just colouring. I think it is too, yeah. but like, why did you decide to co- to flavour your orange liqueur blue? I don't know. I don't know, but it does look cool. It does. That's true. I mean, I, you like cocktails in lots of different flavours. I, I, I wouldn't mind drinking. What am I saying? One likes cocktails in different colours, vibrant and bright and delightful for the <laughs> senses. Very well, Mr. King. I understand. Mm. Don't so, you say my full name on this. <laughs> I, I said your full name on the intro. Yeah, I know. I always do. I know, I'm just joking. It's all right. Okay, so... Amelia Edwards. All right, Barnaby King. <laughs> Lombardi, what about you? Do you have a surname? I mean, technically he's down as your surname, but That's true. we often hyphenate it. Because he's our son <laughs> and we're weirdos. Oh, he looked up when you said that. Oh, he knows. He does. Yeah. Okay, we so... talked about Lombardi probably too much on this. Probably, but hey-ho. So, Sugihara did not think that the Japanese government's requirements were good enough. Okay, yeah. Like, because there wasn't enough time to have everyone check through all these immigration processes. Yeah. Most people didn't really have enough funds. Mm. And also, despite the Dutch government's work, there weren't enough visas for a final destination. Yeah. Um, so he contacted the Japanese foreign ministry in Tokyo three times right. to get directions on how to help these refugees. Yeah. And each time they said they had to have visas for the final destination. Yeah. But Sugihara was a really good and principled person. And he said, like, he decided on 18th of July, he was going to ignore those orders. Nice. Which is mad. Because you know we still have all of those sort of stereotypes of Japanese people being very, like, uh, strict and firm in their morals and following company code Mm, and all that kind of thing. Very obedient. Obedient, maybe. And he just went, no, sod it. Like, I'm not doing that. I mean, it's it's impressive regardless. I mean... I, so I, for our listeners, I studied psychology. I have a bachelor's in psychology, and you go through so many iterations of things like the Milgram experiment, which is just like people bow to authority. It's just yeah. a thing that they do, and speaking out against it is really difficult. So fair play. Maybe it was the fact that he was in Lithuania. Like it's quite far away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it was partly the fact he was in Lithuania, yeah. and he was a long way off his um, like betters in government mm. um, but also um, he seems to have been a bit rebellious from his youth okay. so when he was younger his father wanted him to be a doctor yeah and he went and sat the exam paper oh, to God, get sorry, into I just realised how much of a stereotype that is. I know right so his dad wanted him to be a doctor he went and sat the exam yeah and he flunked it on purpose that's a Good move, right? Like We know he did this because he just wrote his name and nothing else. <laughs> Do we know, like, how he was doing aside from that? Like, was it? Pre- could we have predicted that he would have passed had he tried? Um, we don't know that, but we do know that he immediately got into the foreign office when he applied for it. Okay, so probably, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't think this was a matter of him being uncertain about anything. Yeah. I think he le- legitimately did not want to be a doctor and wanted to work in the foreign office with languages, which was his specialty. Fair. Yeah. That is some dedication and focus that I wish I had had when <laughs> I was younger. Why? Because your parents forced you to be a doctor? No, because I couldn't decide what the hell I wanted <laughs> to do, which I mean, is why I didn't go to university for a number of years before 
Yeah, well, bees went up and everything like that. Oh, good times. Oh, dear. You're right. Yeah. Just just looking back on poor decisions I've made in my past. Oh, dear. Let's talk about the Holocaust. Let's talk about the Holocaust. Okay. I'm joking. This is not cheerier. So... On the 18th of July, he decided to start writing 10-day transit visas to refugees. Yeah. And he didn't just write them to um, the people who he thought were acceptable. He wrote them for everyone. Wow, okay. So this was over the course of six weeks. Yeah. He hand-wrote visas for 18 to 20 hours a day between July and the 4th of September. Wow. And he kept this up the whole time. The only reason he stopped was because the consulate was closed on the 4th of September. Damn. I know, right? It's incredible. Um, So every day he produced the number of visas that was normally issued in a month. Jeez. (laughs) Which, I mean, to be fair, we are talking about visas from Lithuania to Japan, so I don't know how common those were originally. But still... I mean, still. uh, Regardless, (laughs) that's impressive. That's Mm -hmm. so, what, what, six weeks, did you say? Six weeks. So that's, what, 42 months worth of work? Yes. My God. (laughs) I know. So, according to witnesses, there's a story about how he was still writing visas while he was in transit from his hotel to the train station. And when he was on the train, he prepared pieces of paper with only his signature and the stamp on them so that they could be later have the visa forged onto them. That is some efficiency right there. It's super efficient. It's super cool. And then he threw them out of the window into the crowds that had followed him. Wow. So according to his son, that story is a bit unlikely, um, but it's so romantic that I just had to tell it. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it might have happened. Beauty but... is truth, damn it. I know. <laughs> it's... Damn what his son says. <laughs> we aren't listening to him. So allegedly, as he prepared to depart from Lithuania, he said to the crowd, please forgive me, I cannot write any more. I wish you the best. Which is just so lovely and so sad. Yeah. It seems really difficult to tell exactly how many people were saved by Sugihara's visas. And hmm. um, this is because technically the visas weren't valid. Oh, okay. Um, because they weren't approved by the Japanese government in any way. Right. And people didn't have the vi- like they were transit visas, yeah. and people didn't have endpoint visas. No. Visas are over Um, they did do what they were meant to do though, which right. was to get Jewish people out of Lithuania. Yeah. Like that's the whole point of what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, Sugihara had actually gone further than this. He had also arranged with the Soviets that the refugees should be transported to Japan via the Trans-Siberian Railway. Okay. Uh, at five times the normal cost because the Soviets decided to take advantage of the situation. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, a group of American Jewish people got to, like banded together to raise the funds for people to do this, which is, you know, another super lovely story. Yeah. Um, and it seems like it was a really big mess when all of these Polish Jews arrived in Japan. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing that game, Papers, Please, mm-hmm. when you're a, a border checkpoint guard trying to find fake uh, passports and everything like that. Except now they're all fake and you're just going, what the hell am I meant to do? Here? I know, right? Can you imagine? Um, so the best story about this is one day... 30 people arrived in Suruga from Nakoda with forged visas, which all had the same name on them. (laughs) 
Nothing suspicious about this. Come on in. And also, it's the most stereotypically Jewish name. They were all called Jacob Goldberg. <laughs> Goldberg, like the wrestler. Yeah. Maybe that's how they got in. They just speared their way through the guard. Now, that's so- a reference for all you wrestling fans out there. Our 10,000 wrestling fans. Yes. I'm so into our wrestling fan base. <laughs> Oh yeah, big wrestling fan base. Of course. You have no idea. Like People will play this when they're doing uh, training sessions, so mm-hmm. you've got people suplexing each other and listening to history at the same time. The wrestlers love their history. They do, they do. They especially love the Wojtek episode, because, you know, the bear did wrestling, and they're like, ah, oh, my brother. That's true. Yeah. So, uh, the Japanese were furious about these 30 men who had turned up all called Jacob Goldberg, <laughs> and they sent them back to Nakoda... Where they couldn't disembark because they no longer had Soviet entry visas. <laughs> so for several weeks, they sailed back and forth between the USSR and Japan until the Polish ambassador finally got <laughs> Japanese authorities to allow them to land on the condition that they would leave Japan within three weeks. And he arranged that with the help of the Dutch and American ambassadors. Ah, so presumably, yeah. some of them went to Curacao. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> If we've You're got like Fox Hills, my friend. <laughs> if we've got any Curacao and Jewish listeners, please write in. <laughs> Tell us about your experience of growing up in what I presume is an island paradise. <laughs> Actually, they can write in because this is going to be a weird place to put it, but we do have an email address. <gasps> it's ttwpod at gmail.com. Oh, wonderful. Write in if you're a Lithuanian who's super <laughs> involved in your Jewish history, or uh, from Curacao. We'd love no to hear else. from you. <laughs> no one else can write in. You're all forbidden. We just want to hear from Lithuanian Jewish people and Jewish people living on the island of Curacao. Yes. If you are not in those two categories, you are not welcome. No, f*** <laughs> So, Sugihara reported to the Japanese Foreign Office that he had issued... 2,092 visas. But he estimated later on that it might have been 3,500. According to his wife, he'd stopped writing down visa numbers in August and he had completely lost track. (laughs) Which I think is fair if he was only getting between six and four hours of sleep and the rest of the time was writing visas. Yeah, you've got to imagine that at a certain point the visas start getting really shoddy. Oh my god, (laughs) could you imagine? It's like just drawn on half a potato. (laughs) Plus let in <laughs> Jacob Goldberg. That's right, they were all Jacob Goldberg. Yeah, he because... thought he was still working on the same one. Oh god, he was just so tired. <laughs> oh dear. I mean, I do like the idea of just naming everybody Jacob Goldberg now. <laughs> I mean, the, it's one of those things where you kind of think that maybe the confusion kind of helped matters because, like. What am I trying to say? I, I guess that the confusion could cause people to just try and sort out the situation rather than just being like, turn him away or anything yeah. like that. Because, you know, like when something's weird, you kind of want to sort it. When it when it's just like against what you've been told, then you, you kind of rebuff it. I get what you mean. Like, if you'd just done this with one or two people, mm. it would have been easy to turn them away. But when you've got 30 Jacob Goldbergs yeah. knocking at your door, you've got to let them in. <laughs> you've got to do something, at least. You can't just have Jacob Goldbergs floating around in the ocean. Yeah. So I wonder, yeah, if they'd all been named Jacob Goldberg. <laughs> Had some sort of Spartacus <laughs> situation. I'm Jacob Goldberg! <laughs> but then there is one Jacob Goldberg in there going, oh, for f***'s sake. This is actually my name. <laughs> 
Oh, jeez. If you're called Jacob Goldberg, don't write in. We've already said who who can write in, and it's not you, Jacob Goldberg, unless you're Lithuanian or on the island of Curacao. Yeah, any Jacob Goldbergs can get in touch with us on our Twitter feed. Oh, yeah. We really should be doing promotions, like, at the end. I guess so. <laughs> like, three quarters of the way through the episode. I don't know, it's so hot today. It's so hot today. So, yeah, I mean, release schedule on that. Hopefully it will cool down by the time this is released. But, oh my god, this is during the heat wave, and I hate it. I hate it too. I hate it. Our bunny hates it too. He was panting yesterday. Hmm. Poor boy. Okay, let's talk about something nice, though. The Holocaust. The Holocaust. No, but saving people from the Holocaust Yay! is nice. And, and we I really shouldn't have said, when you said talk about something nice, I shouldn't have said the Holocaust. I know I meant it as a joke, but it's one of those things that I really don't want it to sound like I'm anyway supporting the Holocaust. I feel like you shouldn't have to say I'm not supporting the Holocaust. I know People will know you're not supporting the Holocaust. I, yeah, but I mean, okay, so I look on Twitter... I know the mad things people support. <laughs> I just want it to be sure that people know that I don't support the Holocaust. Okay, so like, official soundbite for you all. That time when, officially, does not support the Holocaust. <laughs> but we do support escaping from the Holocaust. Yes, all for that. Hooray! Okay, so in terms of people who actually got saved yeah. by Sugihara, we know he saved more people than the number of visas he wrote. Right. And that's because the visas were given to the heads of families who could take ah, their families right. with them. Okay. And this is why it's so hard for us to actually work out how many people he saved. Yeah. So for each visa, a whole family would be saved. And it's usually estimated that around five to 6,000 Jews were saved by his visas. Um, like higher estimates come from his wife. Um, and she thinks it was closer to 10,000. And I haven't even saved one Jewish person. I know. We have to try harder. They've had a look, like, people have recently looked at this and they reckon that around 40,000 people are alive today because of what Sugihara did over those six weeks. Hmm. Which is very cool. That is very cool. Um, I mean, that's a hell of a legacy. I know. Goddamn. I know. Just makes me feel worse about my own life decision. Do we need to do a podcast episode about somebody who lived, like, a bullshit life <laughs> just to make you feel better? I mean, I have still been playing around with the idea of doing an episode on Camp just because he's the most boring person in the world. <laughs> yeah, but the problem with talking about boring people who do nothing, or like, in Camp's case, just do philosophy, is that um, we end up with boring podcasts, maybe? I mean, I suppose, I suppose, yeah. It's, it's hard to try and sort of strike that right balance. Mm. Okay, so, rounding up the story... The strangest part of this story is that for many years, people didn't know about it. Okay. Like, they just didn't know that Sugihara yeah. had saved all these people. And obviously the people who were saved knew, and Sugihara and his wife knew, but the Sugihara family didn't realise for many years what a big deal this was, because no one ever got in contact with Juni Sugihara to tell him, you know, what had happened with them, or mm. how many people he'd saved. I mean, I guess you're more concerned with escaping at that point, and then yeah. you probably don't have the identity of the person who just forged your visa for you. It's not like he's going to put a return address on it. I know, and like, I guess the thing is, to put it in context, it's a huge amount and it's a huge deal in terms of lives, but for him it was six weeks out of his life mm. like that were just really bizarre. But then after that, you know, he went on to other embassies, and at one point was taken as a prisoner of war by the Soviets... 
for like a couple of years. So it's the sort of thing that you might actually end up forgetting about. Yeah. That's just hit me really hard, that. When you when you mention the fact that it's like six weeks out of his life. Yeah. And that's a summer holiday. Yeah. And the difference that it can make. Mm. It's mad. And it's all down to like weird circumstances. Yeah. Like you could never make that much difference in a normal situation. No. God, I feel I should be doing more with this lockdown situation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, you know, you have to be in the right position. I mean, to, I know, I know, like, I know. It's fair enough if you, like, I'm not going to downgrade what Sugihara did at all because it was amazing of him to stand up to the Japanese diplomatic service mm. in that way. But if you are in a position where you can help people and the course is clear, yeah. which for him it was, yeah. and he said it was, then it's amazing you can take advantage of that. Mm. Um, but... We're, we're not in that position no, right no. now. Sugihara was in the position, and he was just badass enough to just go for it. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, Sugihara continued working as a, as a diplomat for a few more years, and then he was asked to resign in 1947. And apparently this was for downsizing reasons. Uh, his wife reckoned it was because of what happened in Lithuania, yeah. but it's hard to say. Like yeah. It had been a few years later, no one had ever talked to him about it. I imagine it's one of those things that's probably actually quite hard to prove. Because yeah. again, like like I said, he's not signed. He's not like. Well, he is signing his name to. He was signing. Yeah, he his was name signing to his it. name to it. So there is evidence. Okay, I take it back. Why didn't they get on him about this? <laughs> uh, presumably because a lot of other stuff happened, like the war. Oh uh, yeah, fair enough. You've got bigger things to worry about <laughs> than mean, a bunch of dodgy Lithuanian visas. By nineteen forty-seven, World War Two's over, mm. but that means you've got an entirely new government even yeah. in power. The imperial government's gone. Yeah, I mean, uh, post-war Japan is not exactly. You'd probably want to downsize your diplomatic yeah, call you've, you've... in post-war Japan, for sure. Yeah, you've got a lot of other stuff to deal with. Yeah. So it is really hard to say what exactly was happening there. Yeah. Um, and after that, he lived like a reasonably normal life as a businessman. Okay. Um, at one point, he started off as a door-to-door light bulb salesman because there was nothing else going. Huh? Um, but eventually, he got a job in management in a company that exported goods to the USSR, because he could speak perfect Russian. Ah, um, nice. So he basically was going back and forth between Moscow and uh, Tokyo, I think, um, and living like this reasonably normal middle-class life. Okay, so basically he was a normal guy, except for about six weeks, yep. where he saved upwards of 3,000 lives. Yes. Damn. I know. And then, in 1968, mm-hmm. he was finally tracked down by a member of the Israeli Diplomatic Services. Okay. So this was Yoshua Nidri, and I'm sorry if I've mispronounced his first name. Mm. It was also written like Joshua on the thing, but I wasn't sure. Mm. Um, He was the Israeli economic economic attaché in Tokyo, and he had been a teenager in Poland in the 1940s and had been saved by Sugihara's actions. Ah, right. And he'd been looking for Sugihara for a while because it was kind of hard to find this guy who he thought should be part of the diplomatic services, yeah. but was just like this average guy. <laughs> He's actually selling light bulbs. I know, right? Or managing, managing sending shit to Moscow. Absolutely. And so he wanted him to be officially recognised by the Israeli government for what he'd done. Okay. And he was, oh. the next year. Like, nice. this guy was efficient. Um, the next year, he went to Israel with his son, mm-hmm. and 
met the and like was formally greeted by the Israeli government. And because so many people were saved because of what he'd done, they kept lobbying the Israeli government for even more recognition for Sugihara. Okay. So in 1984, Yad Vashem, which is Israel's official memorial for victims of the Holocaust, mm-hmm. uh, recognized him as righteous among the nations. That is cool. Which is a cool title. Yeah. It's specifically a title for people who helped a significant, like helped uh, potential victims of the Holocaust in a significant way. Yeah. And it's such an interesting group of people that they've got like recognised among like among these people. So it goes from people like um, one of the princesses in I think Sweden. Um, all the way down to this lady who was a like a clerk in a shop who just happened to become part of her country's um, rebellion against the Germans and took in Jewish people to save them nice. and risked her own life. Like yeah. there are so many people, and they did so many cool things to help out in a really really horrible and difficult time. Mm. Um, now, most people who are recognised as righteous among the nations are part are European. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, obviously. Mm. The only Japanese person to be recognised as righteous among the nations is Sugihara. Um, and also, a whole load of things in Israel and in Lithuania are now named after him. They've got streets, they've got parks, they've got statues, they've got the year 2020. The year... So I, I, this was your introduction. So uh-huh. what, what is it about 2020? Okay, so Lithuania decided that they really wanted to celebrate him this year. Right. Like, I think that they do, like, a yearly recognition for specific people. Right. And I think... So from what I found out looking it up and finding out about this year, the idea is they're doing a bunch of different things to recognise Lithuania's connections with Japan and with Sugihara in particular. Mm. So they're doing things like... Um, photographic memorials and things of him. Right. And they want to have him as a sort of moment to be proud of in Lithuania's history because um, ultimately, I think, Lithuania uh, was brilliant in their response to the Holocaust at first, but later on things kind of went a bit downhill. Right. um, Because, you know, it's so easy to get indoctrinated into this kind of bullshit. Um. So I think that they like, like, and this was from the Lithuanian government as well, mm-hmm. like they like having uh, Sugihara's story to kind of recognise um, like a good part of their history as being part of um, like people's escape from the Holocaust. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, they, they're doing a bunch of things. They've also got a park in Vilnius that's named after him. They've got streets in Kaunas named after him as well. Right. And now he's got a year dedicated to him. And now he's got a year dedicated to him and as well. And what a year it's been! I know! <laughs> it's really just unfortunate. <laughs> oh, when did they decide this? A while ago. I think it was a couple of years ago. Oh no, that's Super unfortunate so timing. Sad. That said, I don't know what the lockdown conditions are like in Lithuania. Maybe it's okay. I mean, I, I, I don't think that even matters. It's just the fact that, you know, everywhere else, like, Regardless of what's going on there, so many people in so many different countries are kind of going, 2020's a f***ing awful year. I, it's not going to be <laughs> No, I know what you mean. Oh, dear. 
So the question is, do you want to see a picture of Sugihara and his son in Israel on a camel? I mean, I do, but our current microphone setup doesn't really allow for that. That's true. I'll show you afterwards then. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I can go over there and have a look. You know, I'll do that. Okay, also, like, what a gent. Oh, damn. I know, he's gorgeous. He is, isn't he? Um, so... Did... Nice. It's just so lovely. He's lovely. Like <laughs> <laughs> how official they look. <laughs> yeah, they're both in suits. Oh, that's very good. I'm going to return to my microphone. Okay, that's fine. We've finally got a two-mic setup going. Hopefully it's better. We'll see. We will. So, yeah, I mean, the reason I wanted to talk about Sugihara, like, it's just because I feel like we need something, like, good to talk about every Mm. once in a while. Someone who dedicated their, like, at least a portion of their life to doing something really awesome just in a time when they could. Yeah. Plus, it's, it's, you know, it's a good thing to talk about for 2020. Yeah. It's like, everyone is going to remember this is a really shit year, but, you know, it is also the year of Sugihara, so... We can we can say that positive thing about it. Absolutely. Sugihara sounds pretty damn cool. I mean, he was just, like, he was just a cool guy. Yeah. He just ignored what people told him. Like, one time it was the most necessary. Yeah. And really, like, he did risk his job. Yeah. But he stood up to the authorities, he flipped them off, he put on <laughs> his shades, then he leapt on his skateboard and went to write some visas. Absolutely. Yeah. Like a cool dude. So, you know, if you've got time during this lockdown era, if you're still on lockdown at this point, actually, mm, yeah, go just... write some visas. This is going to be a number of weeks ahead. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. Everything's weird. <laughs> this is when we release it and, like, there's just giant murder hornets everywhere, like in the US. Yeah, what happened to the whole murder hornets? I think people got distracted. Mm. I think they only kill bees. Mm. Well, I mean, that's not good. No, it's not good, but I think people were expecting them to kill people. Mm. I mean, with a name like Murder Hornets, I guess, yeah. Who uh, knows? Something might be going on, but regardless, write visas. That's what we learned <laughs> from this. Write visas. Yeah, if in doubt, write as many visas as goddamn possible. Yeah, and if you can't even do that, just sign your name on a bit of paper and stamp it with some sort of potato stamp. Someone will fill in the rest later. Okay, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much to Kevin McLeod for our theme tune Anachronist and any other music that I put in throughout the episode. Uh, I might put in more, I might put in less, who knows? This is exciting times. It is an exciting time. We're still very much learning the ropes of this thing. Please share with any of your friends that you think would be interested in weird ramblings, especially on a warm day. Mm. Write to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you but only if you are Lithuanian. Lithuanian or Jewish from the island of Curacao. Absolutely. Nobody else. Nobody else. Not even you, Jacob Goldberg. <laughs> or you, Jacob Goldberg. Or you, Jacob Goldberg. Or you, Jacob Goldberg. Or you, Jacob Goldberg. <laughs>